Today we're going to talk about a message that I pray is something we can own up to and make our own. See, for many years, you had in uh, this American factories, Ford and Chevy and Fiat and Chrysler's and all of those things, people who work there, and yet they drive all kinds of other cars except the ones for the factory that they work for. This has been a problem for our industry for many years because, you know, you, 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 you're driving by and you see a big Ford sign and then a whole bunch of Toyotas and Hondas and Mitsubishi is right there in the parking lot. It's sort of like an irony or an oxymoron. It's just different advertisement. And so for the last 10, 15 years or so, these companies, they're trying to say, well, how can we be fair to the rights of our employees, but we also need to do something about this because what it says about this, it, it's, it's a big contradiction. It's, it's, it's an irony. It's an oxymoron. It's something. And, and so here's something that, that came out, a campaign that started in 06, February 17. It says, in the parking lot, Ford gets the spots. If you work at the company in Taurus Avenue plant and you drive a farm brand, you will be walking and this is came out in the uh, uh, Tribune staff reporters. They said this because, so they have a big sign, it, you know, four get the spots. If you work at the company lot, four gets the spots. And the idea is that you have to park in a whole different place if you drive something other than that. Fiat Chrysler, there's an official policy that says competitive vehicles are not allowed to park in certain lots, and if they do, they either receive a ticket or wind up with a parking boot. So they've tried all of these things because of the irony that's there. You know, uh, years ago, before pastoral ministry, no one ever asked me to invest now, but years ago when I used to actually make a little bit of money, people used to talk to me about investing. And so before I got into investments in stocks market, you know, I, I was talking to someone. He was telling me, Joey, this stock right here, this one right here, this is the one that you need to invest on. This is the best thing. It's a new product. It's a new line. It's coming out. It's going to blow up. You have a chance right now to invest. You're going to get it for like pennies, you know, and, and eventually it's going to be worth thousands upon thousands and it's going to be great. And you have to do this. Listen, I know how much you make. I have heard about, you know, what you're doing with the company. Some of your fellow co-workers have invested in this. They told me, look, this is one of our top producers. You need to talk to him if you want him to invest. And I said, sure, we'll sit down. We talked. He saw me in all of this. And I said, that sounds wonderful. How much stock have you bought? And he said, none. How are you trying to sell me on a stock that is so great, that is a no-brainer, that I could retire off of, buy it for pennies, and it will be worth thousands, and you yourself haven't gotten in in the game? I mean, do you really want to talk to people like me for a living forever? And so he just looked at me, and, and he just sort of was just without words. And I said, yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know, I said one of the reasons why I have made top sales when I worked in the mortgage industry and I worked in other areas of, of, of business is because I believe in the product. I struggle. I can. I've learned that it is impossible for me to sell something that I don't believe in. That as the words that are coming out of my mouth, I'm saying, oh, this is all just baloney. I'm sure it's probably wham or vegetarian baloney, but still, baloney nonetheless. And I struggle with that. And, and, and so here you have this guy trying to do this, and it's an issue. So, so I looked up some of these words, and, and here you have oxymora, 
the plural form of oxymoron. From the Greek, exumoron, which means sharp doll. It is a figure of speech that puts together apparent contradictory elements like living dead. Then you have irony from ancient Greek, eironeia, meaning dissimulation. In its broadest sense, it's a rhetorical device, literary technique, or event characterized by an incongruity or contrast between what the expectations of a situation are and what is really the case. And so I looked into this because when I look at our churches, I struggle with the fact that we may be suffering of the same issue that these American car companies have struggled with or that guy that tried to sell me stock and he was not willing to invest in it himself. You see, we come to churches and we sing songs like, although today, songs beautiful, I enjoy the special music, awesome, but not here, other churches, right? Uh, you know, where they sing songs like, you know, redeem how I love to proclaim it. I don't know if you know that song or not, but do you know what redeem is? Do you know what it is to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Do you know what it is that you deserve death, but you have been redeemed? That everything that you did brought you down this path, and because you let Christ in your life, He has redeemed you. He has turned your death for life. Your sins for nothingness, completely white, as pure as wool. And yet, I come to these churches, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had some of the best naps in church. But if we're singing, redeem, or how I love to proclaim it, do you really love it? Or what about, I got the joy, I got the joy, joy. no, I got the joy, joy, joy. I mean, really? Irony. Oxymoron. I mean, you see it there. It's sort of like contradicting, living dead, opposite of what the expectation is. We need to stop doing that in our churches. We got to really start living what we say that we live and start investing in our own stock. You know, we, we tell people God accepts you as you are, but we don't. God forgives all of your sins, but we make you pay for them all. God loves the sinner and hates the sin. We love the sin, but we hate the sinner. Come and experience the joy of the Lord, except on Sabbath morning. Today's message is rejoicing in the Lord. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father God, Lord, I just ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. It is time. The clock is ticking throughout the Daniel Revelation series. We are seeing very clearly how close we really are to your soul return. And yet we are here more like playing church, more of a social club, and not really living, investing, and experiencing the joy that comes from you. So Father God, as we discuss this particular point of rejoicing in you, I ask, Lord, that it be you that speak here and not mine and not I. I ask, Lord, that you anoint my lips. But as always, I ask that you be with my family here, that you prepare their hearts and their minds to be receptive to your message. I ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. Amen. Let us go to John 17. Scripture reading for today. John 17. We'll begin on verse 18. When you have it, say amen. When you have it, say amen. And, and, you know, we have a particular task. We have a responsibility. We have a calling. We have something that we are supposed to do. And here at John 17, we get a little bit of an idea of that. John 17, beginning on verse 18, and it says, As you sent me into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. Who, who has he sent? You are the them. That's you. I have sent them into the world like a letter. You know, you're being just, just sent right there by Christ himself. Verse 23. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. Christ sends us so that the world may know. Plain and simple, we have a responsibility, we have a job. We are like letters. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are God's letters. We are being sent to the world. Now, how do I know those for you who have been doing the Daniel Revelation series? Should we guess? Should we speculate? Line up on line, precept up and precept, here a little and? Absolutely, absolutely. See, you guys are missing out, the rest of you. All right, First, Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning on verse 2. When you have it, say amen. Second Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 2. It says, you are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Verse 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. That's who you are, a messenger of Christ. Steps to Christ, page 115, it says, Christians are set as light bearers on the way to heaven. They are to reflect to the world the light shining upon them from Christ. Their life and character should be such that through them others will get a right conception of Christ and of his service. Page 116 continues. If we do represent Christ, we shall make his service appear attractive as it is, as it really is. Christians who gather up in gloom and sadness to their souls and murmur and complain, again, not in this church, are giving to others a false representation of God and the Christian life. They give the impression that God is not pleased to have his children happy, and in this, they bear false witness against our Heavenly Father. Do you recognize that by how you portray yourself as a Christian, could bear a good witness or a false witness against our Heavenly Father? See, many people think, and you've heard me say this before, and as long as I'm here, I never get tired of saying it. Many people think that mentioning the Lord's name in vain is when you hammer yourself and you say, Jesus, that's not mentioning the Lord's name in vain. It's when you go out there and you say you are a Christian. And when the world sees you, they see something different. Somebody sad, somebody angry, somebody gloomy, somebody who, oh, don't get him upset. What will your neighbors and co-workers say about you and therefore about your God? What will your fellow classmates say about you and therefore about your God? Do you realize that that is bearing false witness? Not only are you mentioning the Lord's name in vain, but you're bearing false witness. You're violating two out of the ten commandments simply by Living out a life different than what it's supposed to be. I heard in the radio not long ago, like three songs back to back about the need for forgiveness and, and cleansing and the blood of Christ. See, the thing is that the world needs the Lord. 
Now more than ever, it is very important. But Satan loves to lead the children of God into unbelief. Last night, we actually talked about that in the series, how he works. He delights to see us mistrusting God, doubting his willingness to save us, which last week we talked about doubt. It is the work of Satan to represent the Lord as unloving. He fills the imagination with false ideas concerning God. Instead of dwelling upon the truth of our Heavenly Father, we too often fix our minds upon the misrepresentations of Satan. And we dishonor God by distrusting him and murmuring against him. The devil does his best to make religious life seem gloomy. He desires it to appear toilsome and difficult. And when we present in our own lives the view of religion, we are reinforcing the teachings of Satan. This is why many people out there want to forego religion. They say, follow Christ, but forget about the church. Because we have made religion to be something that is more of a drudgery rather than a delight. Something that is a burden rather than something that is supposed to be filled with joy. And there's so much more to God than that picture that is being drawn by Satan. The Son of God leaving his Father's throne. That's a wonderful picture. Jesus clothing his divinity with humanity. That is awesome. The rescue of man from the power of Satan. His triumph on our behalf. The opening of heaven to man. God revealing to humans his glory. The fallen race uplifted from the pit of ruin into which sin had plunged it. Human brought again into, into the connection with Christ. We were brought again into the connection with the infinite God. Humans having endured the divine test through faith in our Redeemer. Humans clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Humans exalted to his throne. Come on. Not even one amen or glory hallelujah here. Come on, church. This is the very problem. And I don't need you to say that because of me. But don't you realize what an amazing and mighty God we serve? He is mighty, but then we go hide in a corner when one thing goes wrong. He is awesome and loving, but we are always walking around as we are alone in the world. My God said he would never, ever leave you nor forsake you. He says that if he is with you, who can stand against you? And yet we think we need to carry it all by ourselves. Everything I just shared with you right now are pictures of God that he would want us to contemplate on. When we doubt God, his love, his promises, his forgiveness, his mercies, we dishonor him and grieve the Holy Spirit. That was like last week's lesson for Sabbath school, wasn't it? How would a mother feel? How would a mother feel if a child was distrustful of her? Checking what it is that you put on my plate to eat. Making sure that when they try to grab and, you know, sort of like, what are you doing? You know, how, how would a mother feel when a child has no trust in mama? Then how do you think our Heavenly Father feels when he wants us to be full of joy and yet we walk around as though there is absolutely no hope? Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. When you have it, say Amen. Romans 8.32 See, I don't know how it is that we could feel this about a God that loved us so much. You all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? You have it memorized, you say it really fast, you can't even get the words out, you just say that, and it means absolutely nothing to you. Well, let me show you a slightly different wording on a similar message. 
Romans 8.32. This is what God did. He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Yet how many of us, not necessarily in words, but in our actions, by not investing in the very stock that we're recommending, are saying, the Lord perhaps loves others, but he doesn't love me. Go to Romans 14, and while you're getting there, I'll share with you another excerpt from Steps to Christ, page 119. Angels are listening to hear what kind of report you are bearing to the world about your heavenly master. Let your conversation be of him who liveth to make intercession for you before the Father. When you take the hand of a friend, let praise to God be on your lips and in your heart. This will attract his thoughts to Jesus. Romans 14.7 says, For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. By our unconscious influence, others may be encouraged and strengthened, or they may be discouraged. You know, I have told you guys before that this is one of the biggest things that messes me up. I have done several evangelistic crusades. At the end of it, we baptized one or none, or I baptized hundreds. My last time I was in Kenya back in 2014, we had a couple of hundred kids alone, not counting all of the adults, which were several hundreds after that. I mean, you are talking about four or five hundred people being baptized. And it's like, whoa, right? And so I know for a fact that there has been people that have given their life to Christ because I have shared the word of Christ with them. But I cringe and I pray daily for those who have been turned off or turned away or discouraged from God because of me. Where there is something I said whether it's how I responded to a situation or simply what they saw in me. So you see, I don't know where you were in September 11. Probably you, some of you have no idea what September 11 is. But I knew clearly where I was at the YMCA where I was working. I was sitting there in the office when we heard about the first plane and the second plane. And immediately, everybody looked to me. I was just a regular, well, I mean, I was the director there. But I was an employee. I wasn't Pastor Joey. I was just, just plain old Joey. But they knew I was a Christian. And when things happen, when chaos happens all around us, when things go bad, when things get ugly, people are looking at you to see how you respond. And if you choose to respond exactly as the world would, then what is it so special about your God then? If everything that you're going to do is exactly the same, look into it exactly the same, feel the straw exactly the same, have an outlook of gloom and, and complete utter disaster and chaos as though there is no hope. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. We're going to go to Psalm 37 and then we'll hop back in John 17. Psalm 37 verse 3. And when you have it, say amen. Psalm 37 verse 3. When you have it, say amen. Psalm 37.3 says, what is the first word there? Trust. Trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I have to tell you, you know, last night I mentioned this also in the series. You know how many times we've negotiated? I'll speak for me. I don't know about you guys. Lord, if you get me out of this one, I promise. 
And how many times have we delivered on those promises? Now, don't get me wrong. I have to tell you, I realized early on, I realized early on that, you know, you can be rich, you can be poor. You could have great credit or bad credit. You know how many, my, 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 my real name is Jose. You know how many Jose's are there in the world? And so when I used to work with credit, sometimes things would sort of cross over from one to the other. And so I recognize that my credit means nothing. My income means nothing. Where I live means absolutely nothing. But my word means something. And so I made a vow a long time ago that I would let my word be my bond. And the scriptures, it says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. And so I try to be very clear. But even I, even though I try to stick to my word and when I make a promise to my child, make a promise to someone, I will meet you there at 3 o'clock sharp. I'm sorry, I couldn't control the three car pile up in one end and another 16 on the other end and everybody who's nosy and wants to see what's going on made us late. I couldn't predict all of that. So no matter how good my word is, there are many a time that I still can't keep it. Hard as I try, but God, His promises is something that you can definitely bank on. Therefore, trust in God. What does it say there in Psalm 37.3? If you listen to nothing else today, this is the verse that you need to take home. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Things look ugly, things look gloom. It's all right. Feed on his faithfulness and trust in the Lord. Yes, things are going to happen, but you need to trust. Go back to John 17. John 17, verse 15. And when you have it, say amen. Because you see, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. One of the biggest things that messes people up when they come to the church is that they think that the minute they gave their life to Christ, everything is going to be great. Not in this world. Especially if you just gave your life to Christ. The enemy is going to do his best to attack you, to discourage you. He's going to throw everything your way. And if you're working for Christ, he's going to work extra hard because now you're bringing other people to Christ. So he's going to try to attack you. Either way, you get attacked. Whether you're a baby who gives your life to Christ for the first time or a vet who's telling everybody about Christ, you're going to be attacked left and right. We're not immune from the trials and tribulations of this world. God did not spare Noah from the flood, but through the flood. Not from the lions then for, for Daniel, but through it. Not Shadrach and Vishak and Abednego from the furnace, but through the furnace, in the furnace. And for you, not from all this hot mess that you're in, but through it, my God will carry you through. Trust in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. John 15, 17, 15 says, John 17, 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Go to the previous chapter, John 16, 33. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Go to John 14, John 14, a couple of chapters earlier. John 14, verse 27. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Go forward to John 15, John 15, 11. And I try to... I always have like a whole bunch of Bible verses, but I try to keep them there too so, so that you can keep up, yeah? John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may only be good when people are just watching. 
that your joy may truly, genuinely be full. Auntie Ellen says that even if we don't have the things that we want in life, we can still be joyful by looking to the life beyond. So this life may stink, but there's a life that's coming that is going to be amazing, and therefore we can still be full of joy. My favorite story in the Bible of this display is Stephen, remember? As he was being stoned, just looking into the heavens, and Father, forgive, and he's just smiling. I mean, what kind of connection you need to have an outlook that while being stoned, you can still have this outlook in life. Matthew 25, 34, last verse for today. Matthew 25, 34, last verse for today. When you have it, say amen. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepare for you from the foundation of the world. Steps to Christ, page 116. The author here tells a story of a woman in Europe that she met who was just filled with grief. She was walking along the path of life, dwelling upon mistakes, failures, disappointment, and the heart was filled with grief and discouragement. And so while she was in Europe, she received a letter with great distress that says, Hey, I need you to, to give me some words of encouragement because everything is just horrible. And so then that night, the author steps to Christ, Ellen White, she had a dream where she pictured herself in this wonderful garden and, and she's going along the path and, and, and she's looking at the flowers and picking flowers, smelling them. It's beautiful. They're gorgeous. They smell great. They're amazing. And then she runs across just off the path, right there where the breeze, the breers and the thorns are, there's this lady that had written her the letter. And she mourned and she said, is it not a pity that this beautiful garden is spoiled with thorns? And the guy said, let the thorns alone, for they will only wound you. Gather the roses, the lilies, and the pinks. And then she proceeds to ask these questions. Have there not been some bright spots in your experience? Have you not had, not had some precious seasons when your heart throbbed with joy in response to the Spirit of God? When you look back into the chapters of your life experience, do you not find some pleasant pages? Are not God's promises like the fragrant flowers growing beside your path on every hand? Will you not let their beauty and sweetness fill your heart with joy? And this is the questions that are asked. Because church, we can rejoice in the Lord. Don't focus on the thorns, but focus on the flowers. I told you guys on a previous sermon, don't focus on that horrible boss at work. Focus on the fact that you have a job. Don't focus on the kids that are giving you a tough time, but focus on the fact that you have been blessed with a child. There are people out there that can't. Don't focus about pipe bursting in your home. At least you have a shelter. It is time that you rejoice in the Lord. Won't you respond differently than the rest of the world? Won't you buy in the stock that you've been selling? We have a mighty God, and I have been redeemed. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much. And sometimes does this, the devil does his best to paint a picture of you that is not fair, but we buy into it. He makes us question who you are. As a father, 
I don't want my children ever to question my love for them. I will move heaven and earth if possible so that they can be well. I cannot imagine how you feel when we doubt you continually. But Lord, we have promises from you that we can take to the bank. We have promises that we can truly rely on. Father God, give us the strength and the ability to trust in you. Give us the strength and the ability to feed on your faithfulness. The devil would do his best to tell us that we are not worthy. There's a reason why he is called the accuser in Revelation. There's a reason why he's the one out to persecute us, his children, your children, Lord. And yet while he's out there, Father God, he says to us things like, you are not worthy. He tries to bring out a dirty laundry list of all of the things that we've done, all of our failures. And he is right. We are not worthy. He is right. We stink without you. But with you in our lives, it's not that we are worthy, but because you are worthy. We are cleansed and we can claim that we are your children and that we have already inherited the kingdom. We can all claim to be children of Abraham. Oh, what manner of love have you bestowed upon us that we can all be called children of God. So give us the strength and the ability to focus on the flowers and not the thorns and to rejoice in you. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.